Hello, good evening. Welcome to this week's episode of Section 312. My name is Jeremy Sneed, and with me, Matt and Vance. No Quentin this week. He's got better things to do, apparently. Um, so we will be filling in for Mr. Q-Man while he is in the penalty box, um, chilling with cardboard cutouts like Zach Granke, whatever it is that he's doing. Um, he is away, but we have a doubleheader for you, like most baseball teams are going to be doing uh, during this wonderful baseball season. Alex Cohen, play-by-play voice for the Iowa Cubs. We've got an interview with him. He stopped by Section 312, as well as my buddy Justin Trevino, who recently spent his summer working for Perfect Game. He played ball in Australia. He's got some fun stories. He stopped by Section 312 as well. So we have a doubleheader of baseball interviews for you, as well as Sneedler's List, Matt's Moment, Ball Guy of the Week. All sorts of great stuff. But before we get into that, this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of Thrive Fantasy. They are a new DFS app for prop betting. They have streamlined the drafting process and eliminated the need to do unnecessary hours of research by using only the top-tier athletes. Instead of the traditional salary cap format, you build your lineup around a list of prop bets. For each contest, you need to choose 10 of the 20 prop bets. Plus, they give you two in case of emergency picks that protect you from late scratches or postponed games. Very crucial nowadays. Each unique prop has an over and under point value assigned to it. You will be rewarded that point value if that prop is correct. For example, will Eloy Jimenez score a run or have an RBI? Will Lucas Giolito have a quality start? The less likely the prop is to occur, the more points the choice will be worth, and you build your team score around the amount of correct props you select. Thrive Fantasy, enter our code SEC312 when you sign up to get an instant match on your first deposit up to $10. Thrive Fantasy, find them in the App Store today. So boys, some exciting times in Chicago as one of our teams is actually uh, succeeding right now. That is the Chicago Blackhawks as we start tonight's show uh, on the ice. The Blackhawks came in as the 12 seed, one of the um, last two teams that made it under the NHL um, COVID playoff scenario. The Blackhawks squeak in and sure enough, they upset the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, taking three of the five, well, three of the four games that they played in the five-game set. And it was a high-scoring series, Matt Gross. Uh, the defense kind of sucked for the Blackhawks, but Crawford was clutch when they needed him to. And more importantly, they scored more goals than the Oilers did. Um, I take your word for it, man. Uh, <laughs> I've been very busy, man. I've been watching the Blues stink up the place. Uh, they might as well have been doing water polo, man. I don't know what's going on. I hope we figure things out by tomorrow. Well, as we as we record this podcast, the Blackhawks getting ready to face the Las Vegas Golden Knights for game one of a potential seven-game series set. The Blackhawks are the underdog, of course, heading into this, this series. But uh, with the Blackhawks upsetting the, the Oilers, I mean, that's what made this kind of scenario really fun for the National Hockey League was – it, it reminded me of like March Madness, where it was like you can't really rule out any team, similar to what the NBA, uh, the bubble looks like. Where and we'll talk about that later. But you got all these teams that pretty much have, you know, an equal opportunity to succeed. And so we'll wait and see what happens with the Blackhawks moving forward. Hopefully, the defense will improve, but Crawford. Uh, in postseason form, the offense looking good in game one underway as we record this 
uh, this evening, and hopefully the games start starting earlier. And and for those poor the poor Lightning and uh, was it the Lightning and uh, Rangers was it the five overtime game? Uh, the uh, five overtime game we were watching that before we started recording. <laughs> That's dude. Hundred hundred and fifty shots on goal, like. Seth Jones played in a played over an hour of hockey just in his own, just himself. Those that it's insane. But that's the exciting part about it. I love playoff hockey. Here's why. <laughs> no freaking shootouts, man. No shootouts. <laughs> yeah. Like just play hockey. The best one wins. Or so, the one who's less tired. Something, something I forgot to do. Uh, I think that wraps up our, our NHL talk. Go Blackhawks. Hopefully they, they get it done um, against Edmonton. That would be super cool. Um, us Blackhawk fans were kind of greedy when it comes to uh, hoping that the Blackhawks win. We, we do have the three cups. But um, before we get any further, I forgot, boys. We got to do, uh, even though Q's not here, this was kind of his baby that he started. But uh, dear podcast. Why don't uh, Mr. Vance, how about you start us off with uh, your podcast? Um, okay. For me this week, I'd like to go, dear podcast, what is going on with football <laughs> in general? What the hell is going on? Where are they going to go? It looks like college is pretty much pushing to the spring. That's kind of been brought out this afternoon. But, you know, hopefully my NFL is all good and intact. We'll kind of see. I think there's too much TV money to really mess it up, but I don't want to jinx it. We'll see what happens. Matthew? Hey, um, dear podcast. Why is my computer still messed up? It's been messed up for a week, man. I couldn't join the podcast last week. And then the next day I couldn't get the files edited. And then it continued on until the weekend. Put in my Windows repair USB drive. And it says I can't repair Windows. Please reinstall. So now I have to go in the command line and transfer my files over to an external hard drive. And it's been going at it for almost 22 hours. Please make it stop. Please just let me have my files. And then we can just go on our merry way. Someone help this man and his laptop. For, for me, dear podcast, I want to send, a, send an RIP to one of my good friends from, from San Antonio. And that is... That's the man known as Coach. Uh, found out this evening that uh, that he passed away. Uh, he was definitely uh, getting up there in age. He was in his low to mid nineties. But uh, Coach had a had a very interesting career. He, he he had a cup of coffee in the major leagues back in the nineteen fifties, something like that. But uh, he spent most of his baseball career um, as a spring training coach with, with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So he got to know Sandy Koufax, Tommy Lasorda, Don Sutton. It's like all these amazing talents around him. And, uh, he was, he was a very nice man to me during my time in San Antonio. Um, I just loved talking sports with him, letting him tell stories for me. It was 
kind of personal too, just because like I, I don't have any grandparents. So getting to interact with, with someone like him who has all those stories to tell and I could kind of live like, an, you know, he was kind of like an adopted grandfather to me. So 2020 has been, been a pretty terrible year yeah, for, for me. And it stinks to get, to get more bad news like that. But uh, RIP coach, I know you're, I know you're sharing all your great, your great stories and, and talking baseball with people up in, uh, up in the good place. So uh, Matt, I know you have more stuff to say. And um, so I think it's time for Matt's moment. Matt has a lot of things to say. But the question is, what do I narrow it down to? This is a sports podcast, so I can try to talk about sports. Do what you little heart desire. <laughs> All right. I'm going to sip on this A&W then. Not a sponsor. <laughs> What was it they were talking about? There's like a there's like a Dr Pepper sort shortage. Did you hear about that? Yes, that's why I couldn't find. Dude, I'm at Sam's Club yesterday with my <laughs> grandma-in-law. That's the word. Never had to say that out loud before. But we were at the Sam's Club, and I'm trying to pick out a soda. They had the diet crap, but I couldn't find. The big old case of Dr. Pepper. I had to settle for, um, you know, the, uh, like, 30-pack of Pepsi Minis. Diet but, Dr. Kelp? Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, Rob, the Pepsi. Got my, di- my Diet Dr. Kelp? Ah. <laughs> uh, SpongeBob references. I, I forget how they go sometimes, but... <laughs> But, but I live the, uh, I live that on a daily basis, the SpongeBob quotes. But I tell you something: finding a Dr Pepper product should be an Olympic sport and uh, replacement of the Olympics this year. I, I, I swear to Christ, I was having issues a month ago looking for the Dr Pepper with cream soda. Okay, right. I tried it and it was great. And then I go to the store, I can't find anything but the diet crap. It's it's the lifelong struggle of looking for not lifelong. It's the struggle since March to find a soda that isn't trash that is not diet. But um, as uh, this is this is the time of the show that I rant about random <laughs> stuff because you guys are gonna talk about freaking MMA and shit that I don't watch. But my, here's my spiel. Here's my little spiel. Please, God, help the Blues. Know what's going on? How are you going to lose three games in a round robin goddamn thing? <laughs> but uh, it, it just, we were good and then we fall apart late. I don't know why. Um, let's get that stamina up. Uh, go Blues. Well, thank you, Matt. And that was another rendition of Matt's lovely moment here on Section 312. Moving forward. Uh, back to the world of, of sports, Major League Baseball, it's uh, it's going uh, more positively than than some other people are. And um, a guy who's been kind of up and down is uh, Ramon Laureano. He was he's he's with the Oakland Athletics, he's a very talented young man. And uh, he got involved in a little skirmish with the Houston Astros over the weekend. And um, as we record this, um, 
today was when they announced the uh, suspensions <laughs> of Laureano's uh, skirmish. So Ramon Laureano uh, was suspended for six games. Uh, hitting coach for the Astros, Alex Cintron, former White Sox great, uh, was suspended for 20 games. Now, I want to know your guys' opinion. Was was this a fair number of games for them? I know I know everyone was upset with Joe Kelly getting suspended, but the Astros not getting anything for for that whole dispute a couple weeks ago. But 20 games in a, in a 60 game season that's already started, so there's like 50 games left. I mean, he's out for almost half the season, the hitting coach for the Astros. But I imagine you guys aren't going to feel bad because of the Astros. I think that the uh, suspension should have happened um, day one for 60 games because uh, frick the Houston asterisks. But as far as the current situation goes, 20 games, man, that's that's a lot. Uh, I didn't even see what happened. Can you tell the audience what happened? So Ramon Laureano got hit twice during their game. I think it was Sunday. Um, he got hit twice. Whether they were intentional or not is maybe besides the point, because it might not have been. But he was upset regardless. He got hit with a curveball. And so he he had some remarks to say to the pitcher where he, he was like, here's how you throw an actual curveball, buddy, you know, instead of hitting me with it. But the Astros weren't too fond of that. And so apparently Alex Centrone, the hitting coach for the for the Astros, um, had some choice words to say about Mrs. Laureano, uh, Ramon Laureano's mother. Um, Ramon Laureano claiming that um, Centrone said something in Spanish about his mom, but unbeknownst to Alex Centrone, Ramon Laureano speaks Spanish. So he knew exactly what he was saying about his mother. And uh, so when that happened, Ramon Laureano charged Alex Centrone to where um, – he got separated by his teammates. The bench is cleared, all that fun stuff. Um, but uh, Loriano suspended for six games, Centrone for 20. And I, I, had, I was thinking about this uh, before we started the show. This reminds me, because I think these suspensions are really harsh. I mean, there were no punches thrown. There, were, there was nothing malicious. I mean, obviously, other than charging after somebody. But um, what this reminds me of is like when – a dad comes home from work or mom when a parent comes home from a long day of work, like they've just had a shit day. They're not in the mood. The very slightest thing that pisses them off just brings out like the wrath. And I feel like that's major league baseball this year. Like Joe Kelly talking shit to the Astros. Rob Manfred's like, no eight game suspension. What? What? Joe Kelly's like, I didn't Joe even do Joe Kelly anything. is a nope. hero. I mean, I feel like this is the first time they've actually gotten something right. And even still, it's annoying. I mean, if you're going to bring up somebody's mother, you deserve the bigger suspension. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't bring up somebody's mama. I'm glad they put it 20 games on him. He deserves it. Loriano, you can't charge a, a fucking dugout and act like, oh, I'm fine. No, you're going to get suspended, too. It, it's fair. I think this is the first time it's been fair. The Joe Kelly thing was complete nonsense. I mean, it was like. Holy shit, he didn't even hit anybody. Come on now. You know, like, come on, we can't suspend him eight games. This is a lot more fair, and I hate to give MLB credit, but at the same time, I think they kind of got this one right, you know, ironically, because you can't go charging into the whole dugout. I mean, that's just, especially with Corona going on, it's not what you want. It's not what you're going to encourage. Well, that's so I, I, I get it. And Loriano said he was fine with it. So I think it, all around, it, it's fair. Everybody gets it. And the guy who was the real 
agitator got the most of it, which is good. You know, like that's how the way it should be. And some other uh, leapfrogging from that to another big issue going on in Major League Baseball, that is coronavirus, of course. Uh, the Marlins, they struggled with it at the beginning of the season, but now um, they seem to have evened things out. There was some issues with Phillies, issues with the Reds, but now Matt's uh, beloved Cardinals are uh, having a bit of an issue right now, and the NL Central is a mess because the, the Cardinals – are uh, struggling here. They've played five games so far. Matt, what's going on, man? I don't know, man. We're four games back. We're still in it. Uh, I'm joking. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I don't know why, dude. Like, I, what I know about coronavirus is it it takes time for symptoms to show up, right? Or to even show up in a test, maybe. You don't see the result immediately as you get it, right? It yeah. takes a little bit. So. It had to have happened before the season started, right? Because you play five games and and suddenly uh, suddenly you're having issues. I don't know what's going on, man. But uh, I don't think that the casino trip, uh, alleged casino trip, I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not because it was after the season started. Or maybe it is. Uh, uh. I don't know. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. I like it, but Dude, it's um, allegedly because I can't find any facts about it. In, no, in, a more right. in a more positive sense in Major League Baseball, some some strange teams are actually doing well right now in this mod- modified season. You've got teams coming into tonight. We're, we're recording this on, on a Tuesday evening. and uh, Coming into this, you have the Rockies at 11-5 and five leading the <laughs> NL West. The Marlins at 7-3 and three leading the NL East. And the Athletics leading their division at 12 and five. So some teams that you wouldn't really think of that are actually succeeding. And I don't know about you guys, but I think that that makes this kind of thing, this modified season, like we talked about with the NHL, it's like every team has a chance and some even, of these teams are really taking advantage of. Yeah. Even Baltimore's in it. I mean, they're over 500 and it's like, who would have thought they'd be over 500? Yeah. Right. Like they'll probably, it's an interesting point. Out. Yeah. Like they'll probably fizzle out. But they're in a dog fight with fun. the Phillies right now, but yeah. yeah, yeah. It's kind of fun that they're actually hanging in there. But uh, another team that I think we can classify as hanging in there, that is the Chicago White Sox. Now, coming into tonight, they, they did get some of their players back, but at the same time, Larry Garcia goes on the IL. The White Sox, like, like, like some teams have been, struggling with injuries. The Tampa Bay Rays are struggling with injuries. The Yankees, mm. again, are struggling with injuries. The White Sox. Um, so that's led to the White Sox having having some struggles. Um, I guess the Cubs are the only team that's not really struggling with with uh, injuries too much, but uh, just the postponement of of games. But uh, the White Sox hanging in there. They got the win tonight against the Tigers to get them back at Big nine one. and nine. Um, starting pitching's been surprisingly good. It seems like uh, the bullpen's a bit a bit hit or miss, like we talked about last week. Though some of the young guys are are stepping up bit but uh definitely could use some help from those veteran arms in the bullpen yeah yeah you're right big performances from young guys but Sizik and some of these older guys have been horrible so we'll see what we'll see what transpires with the white Sox. the offense seems to be fun when everyone's when everyone's at their at 100 percent. but uh that wraps up our mlb talk we'll see what we'll see where the state of the league is um come this point uh 
next year. But uh, talking some more MLB was uh, our buddy Alex Cohen, the play-by-play voice for the Iowa Cubs. He sat down with me in Section 312 to talk about his recovery from COVID-19, to talk about baseball, the Cubs, all that fun stuff. And here is Alex Cohen. Well, good evening. Sitting with us in Section 312, my name is Jeremy Sneed, and sitting with us with us in Section 312 this evening is the voice of the Iowa Cubs, the AAA affiliate for the Chicago Cubs, for those who don't know, and that is Alex Cohen. Alex, how are you doing today? Doing all right, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you for the time. And um, before we get into more positive subject matter, like your broadcasting career and, and the, the rise of the Cubbies once again... Uh, some uh, disappointing news or, or some, you know, some, if you want to call it that, um, obviously COVID-19 has affected a lot of people uh, this year, a lot of families, and, and you yourself have battled with, with COVID-19, testing positive uh, for that. So for, for those who don't know, could you, could you describe to the listeners how that experience was um, you know, what, how did it feel? What, you know, did you have the symptoms, you know, talk, talk to us about that. Nah, absolutely. It'd be my real first play-by-play in quite some time. So happy to do it. Um, yeah, so it was uh, June 23rd, um, and it was in the afternoon. I started feeling really achy. Uh, my legs were achy. My head was achy. My chest was achy. My ankles were achy. And I had just spent that entire day out in the sun just doing some manual labor, and it was like 95 degrees. So I'm like, you know what? Maybe I just got too much sun. I'm just going to rest. Uh, so I got home. I just didn't feel great. I'm like, uh, I'll take a shower. I'll go to sleep. And I went to sleep. And, and that night I was really congested. I woke up at like three o'clock in the morning. But again, that's not really that uncommon for me because I have some sinuses, especially this time of the year. So maybe I was just having a sinus infection. Right. I woke up that next morning and I still felt the same way and had a, a low grade fever. I took my temperature it was 100.2. And I got a text message at 830 in the morning from one of my buddies and, and he tested positive for COVID. So just putting together all you know the symptoms that I had, how I was feeling in the morning, the fact that he tested positive for COVID. I saw him three days prior to that. Uh, I figured I would go get tested. And then I got tested and it came back the next day that I was positive. And I pretty much had those symptoms for the first two days. Uh, I had a low-grade fever. I was achy, had a sore throat, a little bit of a cough, but not too bad. Um, And then the third day, I had like full body aches, like from my eyelids to my ankles. It just hurt. Like I touched my eyelids and it felt like I had like dinner plates on top of them. So that definitely didn't feel good. And then day three and day four, the fever went away, but my sore throat hurt a little bit more. Uh, When I was taking deep breaths, I would feel a tightness in my chest uh, and then a burning feeling in my lungs. And it, it wasn't the worst feeling I've ever had. I didn't have to go to the hospital, but it kind of just felt like my body knew that it was dealing with something a little bit different. So I felt that for about 24 to 48 hours. And that's probably when I was most scared. And then around day six, that dissipated, uh, the aches dissipated, uh, some small chills and, you know, I went between, you know, chills and sweating and chills and sweating that went away. The low grade fever went away. Uh, but day six is when I lost my sense of taste and smell. Uh, and I kind of knew that, uh, I definitely had COVID or was feeling the effects of it. I was taking my dog, uh, out for a small walk in our backyard, not around anybody. Um, and he went to the bathroom and normally I can smell it and I couldn't smell 
smell of things. I'm like, all right, I got it. Now, now I'll deal with it. But uh, about two weeks later, I got my sense of smell back, uh, my sense, or sorry, my sense of taste back. I've yet really to get my sense of smell back. That's probably like 50% back. So I can smell hmm. my body wash. I could smell my uh, aftershave. I could smell my deodorant. I could smell some food. So we're slowly but surely getting back to that. Uh, and, and really about day nine and day 10, when I started feeling my normal energy level, not as much fatigue. So it was about 10 days of symptoms, obviously quarantine for 14 days. So isolation in general, wasn't particularly easy for somebody like me who likes to talk a lot to a bunch of different people. Like I understand why it's used as an interrogation tactic because day three of isolation or day 13 of isolation, it's pretty tough, but uh, getting past that, I uh, I then got a, another test on day 14, so two weeks after I initially tested positive, and then I tested negative. So uh, I'm probably about 90% right now. Uh, I'm still trying to gain back my sense of smell, and then I'll get you know some occasional headaches and, and some brain fog. As a broadcaster, I can't find the words sometimes that I'm looking for, which is a little bit frustrated, but right. it's all functional, and uh, and I'm definitely feeling a lot better. Well, that's amazing to hear, and, and we're glad that you're that you're almost back to you're almost game ready. And um, yes, so uh, there have been there have been some people on online. You know, there, there's throughout this entire process, some people just haven't haven't been taking it as seriously as other people have. There's people you know saying it's a hoax and all all these kind of things, and and people like yourself are proof that obviously this is a real thing and a and a real threat. Do you have any advice for the people out there that that still think that this isn't that serious of a thing and, and the people that are kind of writing this off like it's no big deal uh yeah so just take a, a look at some of the stories in sports yeah freddie freeman who is at the top of his profession is a professional athlete is in the yeah, top 99.9 percent of being in shape and functional and when he's having a 104 degree fever and praying for his life it's not normal. I, you have Eduardo Rodriguez, who is a pitcher for the Red Sox, who was you know, voted, you know, had got some votes in the AL Cy Young Award last year, and he got COVID. And it's not just the flu, because now he has some sort of heart rhythm defect that he's going to miss the rest of the season. That's not the flu. You lose your sense of smell. You lose your sense of taste. That's not the flu. You get lung pain. That's not the flu. I mean, it couldn't, I'm not going to say it couldn't be more different because they're both in the virus category, but... It, it, it is different. You have 150,000 people who have died who had COVID-19 in the last five months when you look at the stats with the flu and it's about three times less. It's 50,000 people over the course of a year. So I can read the data. I, I can read you all the different symptoms, compare and contrast. But if you just look at it objectively, it's different symptoms. It's different long lasting effects um, and it's different from a life and death perspective. So I don't think it could be any more clear than that. Right. And and speaking of baseball, I mean, the, this whole the whole year sports in general, but baseball, too, has really just been it, it looks like a shell of itself almost where you have the 60 games and you've got player, you know, players opting out, players struggling, teams struggling and, and whatnot. There's rule changes in place for for this kind of makeshift season. Um, give us your your expectations for for 2021. Do you think that we're that baseball is going to return return to some sort of normalcy? Do you think that some of these rule changes are going to stay in place? Do you think we're going to see 162 next year? Well, I'll say 
long as 70,000 people per day in the United States are testing positive for the coronavirus, I don't think things are going to get back to normal. But if that decreases and people start listening and uh, a vaccine does come out, I'm hopeful that in 2021 we'll be seeing 140 game minor league season and 162 game major league season. And, and do I think that some of the rules, you know, the, the seven inning double headers, do I think that'll be the case of major league baseball? I don't, uh, I don't think the extra inning rule will be a permanent component of major league baseball. And I don't think I want it to be. And I think that it's good for minor leagues because you're worried about player development. You don't want guys being taxed from a pitching perspective and you know, a 15 inning game followed by a long road trip. I mean, it just, it completely throws you off. Uh, Major League Baseball, you just have a little bit more to rebound from that. But uh, I I think that in minor league baseball, when player development is at a premium and yeah, it just simply costs more money to keep ballparks open in the 14th, 15th inning than you do if it's the 10th, 11th inning. Uh, I, I think that the extra inning rule will stay in minor league baseball. I think that seven inning doubleheaders have obviously been in minor league baseball for quite some time. They're not going anywhere. Uh, but just right now, 60 game season, I think it's appropriate for those rules to be in major league baseball. And if there is a 162 game season, I don't think they will be there in 2021. Hmm. Well, certainly, I mean, ho- hopefully things get better, obviously, before before they get worse. And, and, and the big thing, too, obviously, for you and for a lot of people, that the minor league season getting getting canceled was just heartbreaking. And, I mean, uh, for me, I mean, I still know a lot of those people down, down in San Antonio. I mean, mm-hmm. my old boss l- lost his job because of, you know, because uh, of COVID and the minor league baseball struggled. But uh, on the flip side, though, flipping that to a little bit more – uh, trying to see the bright side out of it. Um, something that yourself and a lot of teams were doing early on in quarantine was uh, using the power of MLB The Show yeah. uh, to do some some virtual baseball games. And uh, I wonder, you know, w- were there any challenges to that, or was it just a nice little escape from from quarantine? You know, describe that that process of doing those uh, virtual games. It, it kind of brought everything back full circle. I remember when I was six, seven years old, and I had older siblings, and then a, a, an uncle who was on the younger side, you know, closer to my siblings' age than uh, you know my dad's age. So they were all playing video games in the basement, and me being the youngest sibling. I would never get to play. And I'm somebody who likes to talk, who likes to have his presence felt. So instead of (laughs) playing those games, I would broadcast those games. And I was six, seven years old, provide my own commentary. So being able to do that at the age of 31 kind of brings everything back full circle, broadcasting to its simplest form. Uh, And there are obviously challenges to it. You know, with with, with the graphics and the technology, you don't have the depth perception of a fly ball or the depth perception of a breaking ball versus a slider. But uh, you kind of just go with the flow and you enjoy it. And it's just fun calling nine innings of baseball, even if it's on a monitor, even if it's through a video game. And the best part about it, there's no rain delays and it takes an hour and a half. So (laughs) you got to look on the bright side of things. But it was something that I definitely enjoyed. And for the Iowa Cubs fan base, credit to them. We we had an average of 6,000, 7,000 viewers and listeners per broadcast that we had. Uh, That's almost as good as we get for a radio broadcast. And that's on MILB TV and being streamed through the TuneIn radio apps. So it's just a testament to how dedicated Iowa Cubs baseball fans are and how much they were just yearning for any sort of baseball action in April and May by watching those games on Sunday night. And I bet, too, you probably had some some carryover from just Chicago Cub fans in general, too. Oh, I mean, like, absolutely. I can't, I, can't yeah. watch the re- I can't watch the Cubbies, but at least I can watch the virtual future Cubbies <laughs> on, uh, on a stream. 
So in, in other positive quarantine news, anyone that follows you on, on social media knows that you are you are a proud dog dad as of as of this summer. And um, being quarantined with the new pup, uh, did that kind of give you more I mean, obviously besides having COVID for the time for the time that you did and still recovering, but uh, having your new companion, did that did that kind of bring out a little bit more of a positive side of the quarantine for you? Oh, it was the best part of quarantine. I mean, on March 21st, we went into a furry friend's refuge in Clive, Iowa, which is just outside of Des Moines. And, you know, we went with the expectation that we were just going to foster. And we went, and he was the second dog, dog that we saw, and immediately came up to me and licked my face. And uh, we knew that we were going to like him at that point. But it took about 48 hours for me to realize that it was going to be a major foster fail, and we were going to adopt him. My, my girlfriend took a little bit longer to convince maybe 72, 96 hours but uh then on june 21st we ended up adopting him uh and he's been awesome I mean, right now we're taking him to puppy school we're walking him around we're trying to introduce him to new friends around our apartment complex so our entire life right now is based around him which i'm sure he really appreciates a lot and he's in for a rude awakening once uh baseball season really starts in 2021 <laughs> but um he's been awesome i mean it's been a a very lone bright spot being able to spend this much time during the summer with the dog and, and then also with my girlfriend uh you don't really get this much time during the summer as you all well know because minor league baseball it's 140 games in 152 days i mean it's just so intensive so having this time to be able to spend with them during the warm weather um it's definitely been a bright spot in this chaotic 2020 year well in, in hoping that that you are going to have Cubs games to broadcast next year. Is your is your new furry friend gonna become a ballpark dog? Are you gonna you gonna teach him how to fetch bats or you, you know I, I'm dog? not I'm not sure if he has the demeanor for that quite yet. Um, that's still something that we're working on. I mean, he's still uh, you know howling and barking and and humping other dogs. So we want to get past <laughs> that before we get to you know, putting him in a ballpark and, and taking a bat into the dugout. So uh, that that's probably step nine of what we're looking at, and we're at step one or step two. So there's still a long way for that. Right. Uh, so getting getting to to your uh, come up in, in this wonderful world of, of broadcasting, you, you grew up a Philly kid. Um, you ended up at, at Indiana University, um, which is big to us in the Midwest, obviously, uh, all mm -hmm. of us from, from Chicago. We know plenty of people that – ended up being Hoosiers, but uh, I'm wondering, did you get any grief from from probably the lot, the many Cub fans that you, you encountered at IU, uh, being a Philly <laughs> fan and an outsider? I did. Uh, I mean, Philadelphia is obviously a very passionate fan base, and the Chicago Cubs, and for that matter, especially during the time that I went to college, Blackhawks fan base, Bears fan base, um, it's when the Blackhawks won their Stanley Cup, and the, and the Bulls had Derrick Rose, and the Bears you know, made it to the NFC Championship you know, during the Cutler era. Um, yeah, it was a great era for, for both sports fan bases at the time Phillies had just won the world series Eagles went to the NFC championship so there was definitely a rivalry I mean three of my best friends are from the North Shore of Chicago and you know we definitely got into it I, I definitely had a, a warped perception of cup fans they were passionate but also uh they like to talk about their success a lot so uh me being an a, a antagonistic Philly sports fan at the age of 21 we used to go back and forth at it, but uh, again, it's all come full circle. Just being part of the Cubs fan base, you know, for as much as they talk and as much as you know they're they're loud and they voice their displeasure on social media, they are so passionate. You know, I've worked in minor league baseball for eleven years, and 
uh, broadcasted for affiliates of the Milwaukee Brewers, the Tampa Bay Rays, Kansas City Royals, and the Cubs. And no disrespect to the other three organizations, they're great, but there's something just a little bit different uh, about the Cubs system. When you go to Fresno, California, and it's 107 degrees on a Wednesday, and you're literally just frying in the stands, and there's a two-hour wait outside of Cubs fans waiting to get into the ballpark in Fresno. That's when you know that there's something different. So uh, the Cubs fan base, for better, for worse, it's it's a different breed. And it's something that I've really appreciated the last two years. Yeah, they definitely travel. I mean, that was something I always I always knew from watching uh, like Blackhawks games where they would go whenever they would visit like the Coyotes in Arizona, and you'd see more more Blackhawk fans in the stands than Coyote fans. Or, or for me, last year in San Antonio, the same thing. Whenever the yeah. Iowa Cubs came to town, uh, you'd see plenty of blue and red jerseys in those stands. But uh, you gotta love it and. Uh, discussing your minor league uh, broadcasting career, it's it's definitely sent you all over the place. I mean, you've been in Idaho, Idaho Falls, you've been in Bowling Green, uh, Lehigh Valley, and when I was talking about to my roommate uh, about interviewing you, uh, I, I talked about how I told him about how you had worked for Lehigh Valley. My roommate interned for Lehigh Valley, and he wanted me to ask you about uh, Morristown. Okay, New <laughs> Jersey, yeah. I know he's. I know there's actually there's a Morristown, Pennsylvania, and a Morristown, New Jersey. So there's both. Well, I think the I think he was talking about Pennsylvania because he is okay. he is he has told me multiple times that Morristown, Pennsylvania, is like the worst place ever. I wouldn't call it the worst place ever. I've been on, on many minor league baseball road trips where we've broken down in the middle of nowhere, and I would consider those places the worst place ever. So it's definitely a sliding scale, but um, I, I think that um, I'll look at it a little bit more positively. Anything in the state of Pennsylvania can't quite be the worst place ever. Right. Then My, my follow-up to that uh, initially is, uh, and this is lighthearted, of course, but uh, is there is there anything to do in Idaho? Like, what kind of stuff for for a young broadcaster when you're you're broadcasting for Idaho, Idaho Falls? Like, what kind of stuff is there for you for you to do in your free time? You know what? That's when I became at my best at golf. Okay. Uh, when you have the elevation being at 6,000 feet, you go to the golf course and you feel like Tiger Woods because your drive that normally goes 270, 280 yards instead goes 310 to 320 yards. So you're reaching par fives and two and you're thinking you're the, you're, your golf game's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, so I, I played a, a lot of golf when I was in Idaho. We would, uh, yeah, I'd wake up at seven o'clock in the morning. I'd go with my roommate. We'd play nine holes. I'd go to work. We'd have an off day. I play 36 holes. And I think at that point I got down to like a 14 handicap, maybe a 13 handicap. And that was by far the best golf that I ever played during that summer when I lived in Idaho Falls. So uh, my golf game got better and the courses are great. So that's what you do when you're a 26 year old broadcaster living in Idaho Falls, Idaho, you play golf. Yeah. Well, there you go. The, the Alex Cohen guide to Idaho is yeah. if you, if you want to be better at golf, there you go. And exactly. Speaking of traveling as well, you know, looking looking at at your at broadcasting, it, it sends you to all these all these different fun places. Of course, you know, places you never you might not have ever thought you you'd end up at. And when you get in the routine of of being the the full time Iowa Cubs broadcaster, I imagine that there's places you look forward to visiting each year. Uh, is there is there a place for you that you look forward to visiting year in and year out? Yeah. Uh, there in the PCL, lucky enough, there's a lot of great destinations. Uh, Nashville, 
Uh, first and foremost, I mean, you have you have a beautiful ballpark, 2015. You know, it's it's new. It's in a great neighborhood called Germantown. Uh, the food, the nightlife in Nashville is great. Same with Round Rock. It's 20 minutes outside of Austin, Texas. Uh, my girlfriend and I have a couple friends who live in the Austin, Texas area. Memphis, the ballpark is right downtown. You're two blocks away from Beale Street. Sacramento, great ballpark. It's about an hour and a half from where my girlfriend lives in San Francisco and all her friends are. So just a big reunion when I go out there. I get to see all my friends and all her friends, and we have a really good time. Uh, Unfortunately, my time with the PCL in 2018, uh, Las Vegas came to us. Salt Lake City came to us. 2019, Las Vegas came to us. Salt Lake City came to us. So my first year I was supposed to go to those two destinations was this year, and then this year got canceled. So <laughs> haven't course. quite been to Las Vegas, and I haven't been to Salt Lake City, two cities that I love with you know, every bone in my body, Las Vegas for uh, other reasons than, than Salt Lake City. So <laughs> Um, yeah, those are the two cities that I'm really looking forward to going to hopefully in 2021. But as of right now on our side of the division, definitely Austin or Round Rock, definitely Nashville and definitely Memphis. Those are the top three. And Nashville, Nashville is definitely, definitely a good time. I'm, I'm currently in, in Florida now. And I know when I, when I made the drive down here from, from Illinois, uh, Nashville was definitely a place that, that we, we stopped. Uh, my dad came down with me, and so we we spent a night in Nashville just to oh, that's awesome. unwind for a little bit and have a uh, have some fun. Um, so as Cub fans know, and as most baseball fans know, that the the farm system for the Cubs has been pretty incredible the last the last few years, and and even um, obviously before 2016, and even even since then with guys like Nico Horner, you got Miguel Amaya on the come up. They they have just plenty of talent still coming up through the wind. And um, since you've been with Iowa, which Cubs prospect uh, for you was the most fun to watch, most fun to cover, most fun to grow? That's tough uh, because last year, you know, we had Ian Happ for three three months, and, yeah. and we weren't expecting to have Happ at all, if, if not just for a rehab appearance. But he struggled in spring training in 2019. He got an option early, and we thought, oh, maybe we would just have him for two, three weeks. We had him for three months, and he was a guy who prior to that was a utility player. He played some left field, played some center field, played some second base, even a little bit of third base. And with Iowa, just seeing him mature as an everyday center fielder, hit second in the lineup and refine that plate approach from both sides of the plate as a baseball guy. It was so enjoyable to watch. Somebody like Ian, who was a top prospect in 2016, was a first-round draft pick, was in the big leagues at 22, had everything right out in front of him, got knocked down, humbled himself, and then I won't say reinvented his approach at the plate, uh, but fine-tuned it. He, he listened to advice. He was the first person at the ballpark every day. He was the last person out. You, you go into the locker room at 3.30 in the afternoon for a 7.05 p.m. game, and he's watching film, and he's showing Zach Short and Trent Giambroni how to break down their own plate appearances along with him. So just seeing the maturation of Ian Happ was something that – I really enjoyed, and for my two years in the Cubs system, that that's one that's really stuck out to me. And now seeing Ian playing a borderline and all-star level for the seven and two Cubs, um, it, it's been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, of course, and um, and as as most of these farm systems go, I mean, another team uh, like the White Sox, you know, you have this you have this farm system where you have the the big name guys. Um, but you still have a lot of production down, you know, in the when you start getting closer to the number ten, number fifteen ranked prospect. These guys are mm-hmm. still, you know, expected to be huge impact players. 
from the last couple of years, um, give us give us a name of of an under the radar cubby that you think could be could be an impact player um, relatively soon. I, I think Zach Short's a big leaguer. I, I think Zach can can do it at a number of different positions up the middle, shortstop, second base. He's athletic enough to move to the outfield. He has a high on base percentage. He has a high hitting IQ. I'm not sure if he'll be an everyday big leaguer, but you look at a guy like Short who does have speed. He has some power. He had 17 home runs with Tennessee back in 2018. He was off injured in 2019. I think if he gets healthy and he cuts down the strikeouts a little bit, I think Zach Short could be in the big leagues for the next 10 years because he could just do a little bit of everything, which in 2020 makes him so valuable to a major league baseball team. So Zach Short's my guy who once he puts it all together, once he stays healthy, and once he cuts down on the strikeouts, I think he'll be in the big leagues for a decade. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with, with some utility guys. I mean, you look at guys in the Dodgers like Kike Hernandez that have made careers right now out of being utility guys and potentially even Ian Happ. You know, some of these guys, you know, there's nothing wrong, I feel like, with being a plug-and-play kind of player. You know, that that's a really good comp that you just made, Kike Hernandez. I, I really think that could be Short's comp because they both just have a they, – they don't look like they have some juice, but they got some pop. I mean, you look at Kike, and you know he, he's a guy who can have four home runs in five games and really lift your offense. And I think Zach Short can do that as well. At the beginning of last season, he was a three fifty three hitter over his first 10 games with two home runs, and then he got hit by a pitch. So if he stayed healthy last year, would have been very curious to see if he would have been brought up to the big league's Cubs obviously think enough of them to add them to the 40-man roster. So I think that's a really good comp for him. I think that's a, a Kike Hernandez-Zach Shore comp is something that, that could really turn into fruition. Well, thanks, man. I try I try my best to come up with yeah, this. Yeah, put, <laughs> um, put on your scouting cap, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so another cool experience that, that you had in, in 2019, looking back at some some positive experiences in, in, in broadcasting right now, but uh, you got to go to Korea for the w, WBSC and – um, I've heard from other people like Neil Solons with the Rays that that experience is just remarkable. So for for the good listeners out there, can you can you describe that experience for us and how fun Korea must have been? Yeah. So Neil went to Korea. I actually went to Taiwan and Japan. So the, through the two of us, we had we had Asia kind of all covered. But right. uh, yeah, it was my it was my second premier twelve. So I did it back in 2015 when it was just yeah you know, ranking the top twelve. Yeah, uh, baseball lineages or countries uh, in international baseball. In 2019, it had a much bigger price just because you know they're bringing back baseball to the Olympics. So they they gave away two bids to the Olympics in that Premier 12 tournament. So that definitely lifted the stakes quite a bit. And, and going out to Taiwan, uh, especially for the first round, it was a little bit more special to me because me, you know, my my girlfriend, her family. Uh, not her immediate family, but her uncles, her aunts, her cousins, they all live in Taiwan. So being able to go out there and spend some time with them and you know sit around at dinner with them, they don't speak any English. But it, it was just such a, a different experience combining my family life and the baseball life and the great food and the great baseball atmosphere. It, it was a really enjoyable two weeks. And then going to Japan, Premier 12 final, uh, just being in the Tokyo Dome, Japan versus Korea, 45,000 people. It just makes the hair on your arms stand up. It's so incredible to be in that type of venue with so much history, with fans who are so passionate about the game. Uh, they stand up the entire game. They have you know, coordinated chance for every single different player. I mean, it's 
it's something that you'll that I've never experienced at this point in my life, and I don't think that I will experience again. So, uh, being in Asia for 16 days, I, I definitely enjoyed the food. I gained some weight, but it was well worth <laughs> it. Uh, it was uh, really something that I'll remember probably forever. That's amazing, yeah. And then that's the fun part about social media too. Good old Facebook with its memories. I mean, every every year now, every fall, you're gonna get that. Hey, remember when this happened? On, yeah, on remember, Facebook? yeah. Remember when I was in Japan and eating you know, ramen noodles from a vending machine? <laughs> no, it, it's uh, seriously. If you ever have the opportunity to go out to Asia and just check out baseball games, whether it's a CBBL, whether it's the KBO or the Nippon Baseball League in Japan. Um, it's different. It's something that I think every big time baseball fan, if they can afford it and they have the time to do it, definitely do it. Well, there you go. So first, first go to Idaho, then end up in, in Taiwan. That's the yes. Alex Cohen travel guide. <laughs> yeah, and, no, uh, you go, you go from Idaho to Taiwan, to Bowling <laughs> Green, to Japan, to Iowa. So you really check all the boxes. Yeah, perfect. And Alex, before, before we let you go, tell, tell the good people, that are listening, where they can find you at, plug some social media. Um, if you've got any words of advice in any category, now's the time, you know, let the people know where they can find you and uh, what's going on. All right, good people. Uh, now my uh, Twitter handle is at voice of Cohen, V O I C V O F C O H E N. Um, you can also follow a lot of our stuff on at Iowa Cubs on Twitter, Facebook, as well as Instagram. And I guess my advice right now would be, Try to make lemonade out of some lemons. Uh, I, I know that 2020 is a difficult year for a multitude of different reasons, and it could get more difficult just because people are testing positive and sports might get shut down. But for every day that you're able to watch a baseball game or for broadcasters, listen to a new commentator, whether that is you know Tom Hamilton for the Indians, whether it's Dave O'Brien for the Red Sox, whether it's Joe Davis for the Dodgers, whether it's Eric Nadell for the Rangers. I mean, just try – to listen to a new voice every game and, and see if you can learn a thing or two. I mean, that's something that I've really been able to take advantage of over the first week, you know, which I wouldn't normally be able to do during a baseball season because we're so busy. I remember, uh, I think it was the second day of the season. I listened to five different broadcasts. I listened to the Cubs. I listened to the Phillies. I listened to the athletics. I listened to the giants. I listened to the blue Jays and just having, you know, that, that, that broadcast, the field, getting the tempo from those five different broadcasters, it made me feel like I was learning something and making my own broadcast better. So if you're a broadcaster and you're listening in, just listen to the big leaguers do it because they do it the best. There you go. Alex Cohen, the voice of the Iowa Cubs, joining us in Section 312 this week. Alex, thank you for the time. Uh, please stay healthy out there. Hopefully you and your your pup and your girlfriend are staying safe. And hopefully hopefully you'll be a future guest on the show uh, later on. <laughs> Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Hopefully you can, uh, if it's a 3-1-2, we can have a 3-1-2 at one point. So yeah, that, that would be the goal. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Thank you. So some fun stuff there from Alex Cohen. We're happy that he is on the recovery path and that he is loving his new doggy dad lifestyle. That was Alex Cohen. And now jumping in to uh, – my new list, Sneedler's list, I guess we're going to continue with baseball because I, I'm doing a two-part series um, starting this week with the exciting players on each team, beginning with the American League. Um, this is young talent. I'm trying to specify players that aren't already like established players, but for some teams, it was a little hard to uh, 
choose one. So, so, give so me we're a talking about like, uh, is there like a maximum MLB years of service that you're um, putting your list I was in? Looking, I was looking more at age. I was trying to cap the age, age at 25, but I was trying to do much younger than that if I could. But I also ranked them one to 15 based on who is the most exciting player as well. So you'll see what I'm getting at when, when we get in here. So at number 15, I'm going with uh, Jeter Downs as the most exciting young player uh, for the Boston Red Sox. He was part of the deal that sent Mookie Betts to, um, to the Dodgers. The, the Red Sox don't really have a lot of fun prospects in the wind. Um, they're kind of, I feel like they're kind of an older team. I mean, you got Michael Chavis, but really all that exciting but Jeter Downs could be a fun middle infielder for them uh coming up that's another thing too I tried not to do prospects I tried to focus on guys who have actually played um that's another thing it wasn't a prerequisite uh at number 14 with the Detroit Tigers Mr. Jacoby Jones uh he has gotten off to a huge start to this modified major league baseball season with five home runs double digit RBIs 300 plus batting average he's a really good fielder Tigers don't have a lot to be uh be happy about right now but if jacoby jones can turn into to a serviceable player for them or even beyond serviceable that could be a lot of fun for them at number 13 the texas rangers with willie calhoun he's a guy with a lot of power he's got some speed he can play all over the field play some infield play some outfield he's got a nice stroke uh it's taken him a while to really uh build up with the rangers but now it seems like he's there unfortunately he got hit with a ball in the face during the original spring training, and so his recovery has been a little um, elongated. But uh, Willie Calhoun, when he's healthy, he's a fun bat in that uh, Texas Ranger lineup. At number 12, Mr. Kyle Lewis with the Seattle Mariners. He's gotten off to a huge start in this modified season as well. And again, the Mariners, not a team that have a lot going for them right now, but if they can get some homers from Kyle Lewis, then um, that's something they can hang their hat on. Number 11, Mr. Kyle Tucker. Another guy, it's taken him a while to really uh, to really blossom with the Astros, considering that their farm system is just insanely stacked. And so even Kyle Tucker, a guy who had 30 homers, 30 stolen bases in AAA Round Rock last year. I mean, I got to watch him live plenty of times last year. The kid's insane, but there was just no room for him. But the Astros are making room for him this year, and he is a fun player to watch. That is for sure. At number 10 for the Minnesota Twins, Luis Arias. Uh, he kind of reminds me of an old-fashioned player where he, he can just slap the ball all over the place, play good defense, and he's hard to strike out. Uh, something that uh to be – yeah, yeah, very good comp. Um, oh, my God, I don't mean to dig your moment. No, you're good. Uh, that's a good comp, um, but I feel like that's exciting because it's so throwback. You know, nobody. It seems like not a lot of players do that nowadays. And number nine, Mr. Bobby Witt Jr., um, one of the, uh, he's the top prospect for the Kansas City Royals. Uh, comes from a baseball family, and um, the Royals they they're already pretty stacked at the middle infield position, but they they've been moving Whit Merrifield to the outfield, and I imagine that Whit Jr. would take over for Nicky Lopez as soon as uh, he's ready to get up there. At number eight, Mr. Jesus Lazardo for the Oakland Athletics. They are stacked with a lot of young pitching talent. Lazardo's appeared in the big leagues before. It's a matter of time until he'll be a fixture in their starting rotation. At number seven, Mr. Shane Bieber. He was the one exception I made to, to this young, exciting uh, players list, but I couldn't help but mention Shane Bieber's just incredible first two starts of the season. He's definitely someone, he's the, he's the guy to watch right now, other than Francisco Lindor uh, in Cleveland is what, is what I would say. So 
Moving on, number six, Mr. Joe Adele for the Angels. Uh, unfortunately, he was on uh, not top plays for helping uh, assist a home run. That was kind of unfortunate, but uh, he is definitely an extremely talented young man who uh, could be a dangerous duo with him and Trout for the future in, in L.A. That could be uh, dirty. So moving into the top five of my exciting American League players, one for each team. Uh, at number five, Nate Pearson with the Toronto Blue Jays. He is a flame-throwing tall right-hander for Toronto, who's going to be their frontline starter for years to come. Kind of reminds me of when Noah Syndergaard first came up, and you just heard like these mythic stories of Nate Pearson. You, know, you have to watch this guy pitch. He is fun to watch. He's fun to watch. I watched his two starts. He's he's fun. A lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, so he's now breaking in, breaking into the bigs, and uh, hopefully he'll be there for for a long time. At number four, Mr. Adley Rushman, former number one pick uh, for the Baltimore Orioles, another team that, uh, well, while they are having some success in this modified season, um, they tend to not have too much to uh, cheer about. But Adley Rushman, uh, it's hard to find a franchise catcher, and so hopefully Adley Rushman is that guy, switch hitter, power from both sides, good glove behind the plate. Uh, Going to be fun to watch him play. Uh, in Baltimore for years to come. At number three, Mr. Glaber Torres for the New York Yankees. I was pleasantly surprised to find out that he's still only I think, what, 23 years old. Uh, just insane. And um, the poor Cubbies had to trade him away. And that that's a debate for a whole nother day, whether or not the trade was worth it to get Chapman than the Cubs win the World Series. I personally think a closer doesn't win you a World Series. I'm sure they'd rather have Glaber Torres. I agree with you. I agree with you. That was not the right move for the long haul. And it didn't win them a World Series. He gave up a run to close the game in Game 7. So how did he win you a World Series? Exactly. So that's a debate. He was good. He was good, but he didn't win you a World Series. You had a team. That's a debate for a whole other day. But Glaber Torres is an absolute tank in New York. And number two, Mr. Wander Franco for the Tampa Bay Rays. He is a guy you want to talk about mythic legend. Uh, and, and being around the Rays like I like I was for, for a short while this year, I mean, what they have to say about Wander Franco, I mean, they're acting like he's already they're already building his shrine. In he's God. Cooperstown. <laughs> um, but he's 19 uh, or something, right? I, I got to why yeah, I got to watch him play a little bit in spring training. I mean, he, he I can't say I saw too much out of him, but he, I mean, he looks good for as young of a guy as he is. I mean, his swing looks good. He's, he's quick. Um, but I mean, you, you can't do a list like this and not include Wanda Franco. And at number one, the obvious choice for most exciting player in the American league, one per each team, that is Mr. Luis Robert. He is living up to all the expectations that were set upon him. Um, when they, when they signed him out of, out of, uh, Dominican and then, um, Cuba, sorry, Cuba. Yeah. My bad. And then coming up through the minor league system. And then signing the extension and opening day starter, he is terrific, and it'll be great to watch him throughout the year. So I'll do the National League next week of exciting players uh, to watch that are youngsters in Major League Baseball. And so moving forward now from Sneedler's list, some MMA news in advance. I know you and I love talking uh, some MMA, and um, this actually leads to our ball guy of the week. Mr. Derek Lewis, the heavyweight yeah. UFC, uh, he set the heavyweight record now, I, I believe, right? Yeah, he was tied for most knockouts in heavyweight mm. 
Now he holds the record for most heavyweight knockout after defeating Alex- Alexio Linick. And another reason why we love Derek Lewis is his one-liners. Uh, he famously told Joe Rogan that his balls were hot after um, one of his knockouts. Well, this weekend, or I guess this past weekend, in his uh, post-fight press conference with the lovely ESPN crew, he said, <laughs> I need to take a shit. <laughs> yes, he did. Congratulations on your knockout, Derek Lewis. Go use the pooper. Uh, so we love Derek Lewis. He's the ball guy of the week. And um, this leads me to a question, Vance, is uh, is he deserving of a title shot? You still got Curtis Blades and Francis Aganu in front of him. We're waiting to see what happens with Miocic to Cormier 3. Um, but uh, does Derek Lewis deserve a title shot? I was going to say he's got a little way in line. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be that guy, but there are some guys in front of him. And primarily Nganu. Nganu has got to get that shot. Whoever wins this fight, you got to see Nganu in the winner of this fight. And that's kind of how that how that has to go at the top. Now, in terms of Lewis, I think it'll be interesting. I think he's kind of smart to maybe say, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to lose some weight. And I'm going to see what happens. Um, I would love to see him in Blades. I know they probably won't do it. But I would love to see that. Like, okay, you know, it's a semifinal or something. You guys fight. And the winner gets the winner of this other fight, Ngannou and Mio. And you know, I don't want to say Miocic, but I feel like he's going to win. I don't know. I, I just have that feeling. Miocic is going to win on Saturday. I'm I'm intrigued to see what happens though, because I I wonder that I wonder if Cormier retires regardless. If he right, wins. and either way, if, that's kind of what I mean. Even if he wins, then he's going to retire, and yeah. then it'll probably end up being a fight with Stipe. Prob probably. But I but I wonder too if if Miocic wins, does Cormier retire? I think he does. I think but also, but also does does Miocic retire? I mean, he's already done a lot in the UFC, and he's he's mm-hmm. got the volunteer firefighter gig. You know, he's got some other stuff going on in life. Part of me thinks, is there a chance that we see both of them retire, and then maybe you see a Nganu Derek Lewis fight for the belt? That would be interesting. I would love to see those two guys go at it because I mean. You talk about knockout power. I mean, that would be unrivaled in the maybe in the history of UFC. Yeah. Like but two guys that can just hit you with one punch and it's over. I mean, it would be interesting to see. But like you said, it. Who knows with Stipe where where that next kind of match, whatever road is for him. I don't want to speculate, but that would be a lot of fun to see Lewis and Ngannou. For, yeah, sure. for the UFC, for Dana White's sake, I mean, you'd almost you'd almost have to hope that you know, like whoever wins stays because of scheduling wise i mean you have Nganu, you have Nganu, blades and lewis who have all fought now within about two months of each other so scheduling wise they'd all be on track to fight each other at the same you know at at about the same time and even jarzinho rosenstrike is going to fight this weekend too so you have all these like top competitors that are all in the same timeline here of of events and if Miocic were to retire and Cormier, and that would create this weird bubble of you'd have to choose two of the three, basically, and then say, sorry to the third guy, you're going to fight somebody else and then maybe a, a title. But another thing that happened over the weekend, which this is just a, a personal favorite for me, I'm a big Chris Weidman fan. Great to see him back in the middleweight division. He got the unanimous decision to win. Hopefully we see more uh, good things out of him moving forward. But uh, like we mentioned, Miocic Cormier three 
is happening this weekend. Vance, you're going Miocic, correct? Uh, I mean, I just have that feeling. I don't know why. Like, I like DC probably more if I was just picking who I like more, but I don't know. It's just like he's older. He doesn't have the reach and the height and stuff. I think when you fight three times, there's kind of a difference of like, you're not going to sneak in on him. You're not going to get under his reach. Like, that's probably not going to happen, you know, but it, it'll be interesting. And I, I do think that even though I like Miocic, it'll be a great fight. I mean, it's it's literally a split like even odds on a bet it right now, which is fun. And, uh, and, and I would say that, um, I, I like a knockout. I like a knockout in the fight either way, no matter who wins. I think someone's getting knocked out, which is kind of a fun part of UFC. Like I don't want to watch guys dance around for 25 minutes. I want to see somebody get knocked out. I want to see a true winner. I want to leave no doubt. You know what I mean? I want there to be no doubt of who won that fight. And I think that'll happen. Regardless. My big, my, my bold prediction. And I think this would make Q man happy. All right, uh, as uh, I think Miocic wins, but I think they both retire after the fight. I think Miocic retires as champion, and then the UFC decide. You know, then it's up to Dana White to decide who fights for the title. Or honestly, what I think would be super cool is if they did like a final four, just do the top four contenders. Everyone fights each other. Like do it all in the span of 2021. Nganu, Blades, um, Lewis, and then whoever else is the fourth. You have them all fighting around Robin. And then <laughs> eventually someone's crowned the champ. I the think only that thing that would be tough about that is if it's Rosenstruck and, and, uh, and Nganu again. That's kind of <laughs> But I mean, I get what you mean, though. Like, it would be it's fun. Not gonna to happen. It it's not going to happen, but that would be kind of cool. Yeah, uh, so that's a, that's our MMA talk. We'll see what happens with uh, Miocic and Cormier. Some other good fights on that card include Sean O'Malley against Marlon Vera and uh, Junior Dos Santos against Jardino Rosenstrike. Yeah, pay per view this weekend on ESPN Plus. None of them are sponsored, but oh, we'll be watching. <laughs> Something that people might not be watching that is uh, college football. Boys, it's a tough time to be a college football fan. Fortunately, I am not the biggest college football fan, so this doesn't really bother me all too much. But um, a lot of talks going on right now. Some conferences have even canceled the fall season. Some conferences, like the good old Missouri Valley, have just postponed it to to the spring. Uh, Beginning with you, Matt, what do you think is the ideal thing for college football right now? Should they try to do a fall season? Should they just cancel the entire year? Or should they? Look at just doing spring, but with all the fall sports. I think for the interest of the fans, the students, the student athletes, the uh, business owners in these college towns, and um, the big wigs up in the tower, uh, they should play in the spring. Uh, Don't cancel it all together. Just move it over. You know, you see high schools already doing this stuff, shifting things around, have mm-hmm. things happen during different times. Um, I had a thought going. I was really going. I, it sounded like I was really knowing what I was talking about. But uh, I had a brain fart. I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying? Oh, uh, wow. But, <laughs> but what happened? The if you cancel If you cancel fall, then you don't get the revenues and stuff. And if you go in spring... Now everybody's scholarships aren't wasted, you know, even though you're going there for school and stuff. But you have your games, you have your competitions, 
and you you just play. And I, I really want to beat Kansas. Uh, <laughs> the I want the Southern Illinois Salukis to beat Kansas, and just just keep going. You don't don't spring has to happen. I actually agree. I think spring is probably the best solution, even though it's kind of messed up for the big schools. It's not really ideal and the other thing is that when you look at the big schools there's no nfl talent that's going to be on the field in the spring they're all going to be lining up for the draft anybody with a sniff at a fourth fifth round i mean they're not going to play so even then it's not necessarily ideal but at least you have a season at least you play whatever you play your conference and do a thing and it's not the end of the, I mean, it's not horrible. It's not a lost year. You know, younger guys get a chance. They practice. They develop. You know, I think that's the best long-term solution, even though it's going to kind of suck in the short. That's what I would go for right now. But that would be- yeah, I, feel, I feel like the spring season is going to, like, moving everything to spring is really going to benefit the smaller the smaller schools that, like, nobody, nobody pays attention to SIU baseball. So it's like you might as well, like, it's not going to hurt to to push everything to spring, and then you might actually get, you know, you might get some more. I feel like you might get some more media attention that way. That way too. The thing about the moving to the spring, um, that would be for conference schedules, but I have no idea what's going to happen with the non-conference schedules. What the smaller schools were talking about here, the non-conference schedule is the important part of their schedule. They're most important, oh, I think. Right, right, right. You kind of already have what's going to play out with the conference schedule, but who knows what we were going to do versus Wisconsin if you're the Salukis? Or well, who knows what's money. going to happen with Kansas if you're the Salukis? Well, you know? the financial aspects of the non-conference. Yeah, match. it's a money thing, right? Yeah, I, I need to collect my 500000 uh, and then put that in the bank. And uh, thank you for supporting our program. But, right. I, but yeah, the, the guaranteed money. And we also want to try to beat you guys. Uh, the, it's, it's important for everybody to figure out just, just do spring. Just get on board with that, you know. Yeah, I think – I definitely think it's a, it's a much more realistic idea to just move everything to – to spring. I mean, it's going to suck scheduling wise to try to, for some, for some universities to try to fit everything, you know, like a, a, like a place like SIU where it's like, you're going to have, you know, the women and men in the same arena. You're going to have football next to soccer. Cause SIU has got soccer now. Like you're going to have, it's, it is going to be a, a bitch for the athletic directors to try to solve all of this, but um, for some schools, but uh, that's gonna be. I feel like that's gonna be part of the fun, though. I mean, for for people who are true like college sports fans, I mean, spring twenty twenty one is gonna be just insane with with all that stuff happening. Um, but college football probably not going on in the fall as much as Jim Harbaugh wants us to believe that it is gonna happen. Probably not. Here's to hoping that spring twenty twenty one brings us. You have got to be high if you think you're going to be playing conference schedules in fall. I'm sorry. (laughs) Please uh, partake responsibly. Um, The last last sport we'll talk about tonight before we get into our second and final interview of the the show 
a little bit of NBA. The um, the little mo- uh, continuation of their regular season is almost almost concluded. And similar to Major League Baseball, you got some strange teams that are succeeding in the NBA bubble, like the Phoenix Suns, who are seven and zero in the bubble. Devin Booker is playing out of his mind, and then you've got guys like uh, Damian Lillard dropping sixty point games like it's nothing in the bubble, and um, T.J. Warren, the boy, dropping fifty plus. 50 plus game uh, a couple games ago and, and just playing like a whole different person inside the bubble. And it's making for some entertaining basketball, but the Eastern conference already clinched up. It's just a whole matter of, of seeding at this point, but in the Western conference, you've got four teams within a game of each other battling for the eight seed Memphis, Portland, Phoenix, and Sacramento. But I ask you guys, does it really matter that they're battling for the eight spot? Cause they're going to face the Lakers. Is Memphis, Portland, Phoenix, or Sacramento, or I mean San Antonio, are they actually going to like give them a fight at all, or are they just battling to see who gets swept? It matters because of television rights. You know, it's, <laughs> it's the business stuff, right? You know, you got to sell the merch, got to sell the hats, shirts, and uh, also I need my State Farm ad on this game right here. You know, like we need the. Uh, <laughs> It's the business stuff, really. But what uh, about money? I'm not. I'm not really the kind of person that supports tanking for picks or any of that stuff. But with the NBA, though, when you can be one of the 14 teams in the lottery instead of being the team that wiggles their way into the eight seed and then gets swept by the, the Lakers, don't you think though that maybe it's worth it to kind of try to not get the eight seed? So you can get that lottery pick? Here's what happens. Eighth seed, you're in the playoffs. Anything can happen, right? Anything can happen in the playoffs. You've seen the 2011 St. Louis Cardinals. I'll have to remind you of that. But, uh, by the way, September that year was great. Fantastic. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, dude, I jacked off. That, that, was when Matt, that was when Matt became a man. <laughs> yes. But, but then you... Um, what was I saying before I said something about the Cardinals? But if you're ninth place, it's just one difference between eighth and ninth. Ninth, how's your lottery that much better if you just just go for the playoff spot? You know, because you have a, you actually have you have a slim chance of getting the number one pick though. If you're the ninth seed, if you're the you eighth seed, slim you're chance of trying to do something in the playoffs. I'll put yeah, it in no, simple like terms, though. I mean, to me, the only team that has a chance to compete with the Lakers is the Trailblazers. There's no other team that could even hang. So, you know, I see why they're fighting for it. I see why they want it. Everyone else, I, I, I don't get it, really. You know, at the just, end of the day. I was just, I was just trying to anything, put Anything can happen, you know, like uh, like, like in the 70s, uh, in the uh, Flint, Michigan Mega Bowl. They were playing against <laughs> the Spurs. The Flint Tropics were playing against Spurs, and they like surprised everybody. It was great. Anything can happen when playoffs are on the line, even though they were totally out of it already. We're gonna launch this cannon. That cannon I mean, you know that's a fictional story, right? It's a fictional story. It's the Flint, Michigan, inspiring story. Inspired Michigan Megaball. I was like, I hate to be that guy, but that story is 100% fictional. I love everything about that movie. It's my favorite movie ever, but I especially love when they're trying to like tell them that it's crazy. They're like, that cannon doesn't even work. This, this, does, this game literally doesn't even matter. And he's like, 
We're going to win fourth place. We're going to let off the cannon. It's the Flint, Michigan. Mecca Bowl. <laughs> Back when Will Ferrell actually made big movies. Uh, another guy that's entertaining, that is Justin Trevino. He's a good friend of mine that I met while working uh, in San Antonio. He used to play ball in Australia. Uh, recently, he was working as a scout with Perfect Game. He is our second interview for Section 312 this week. He took a seat in Section 312. Here is our interview with Justin Trevino. Good evening. Welcome to Section 312. Sitting with us in Section 312 this evening. My name is Jeremy Sneed, but sitting with us is one of my good friends out there. His name, Justin Jet Trevino. Uh, I'm not Hispanic, so I can't roll the T's or roll the R's, but I can get that squiggly <laughs> over the N. I can get the uh, Inyo. Um, but Justin, he's a baseball guy, uh, used to play pro ball. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, he's, he's trying to be a scout. So he's, he's riding the same grind that a lot of us are uh, during, during these interesting times. But Justin, thanks for the time, my man. How you been? I've been good, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, uh, yeah, I've been good, dude. Getting through this virus. <laughs> yeah, we're trying one one day at a time. But recently, recently you were working for for Perfect Game, uh, one of the one of the big baseball institutes across the country, and and I, I believe they work towards you know finding finding some talent for 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 future baseball and all that stuff. So tell the good people, you know what what did you do for them and um, what that gig was all about. So I went there to Atlanta. Um, to be a scout and field manager. That was the name of the job. Um, a lot of, I'm, it's, I show up to the field and like, I get assigned to, a, like, say it's like the WWBA, I'll be at the same field. Or sometimes I moved around, but most of the time I'd be assigned to a field for that tournament. Um, sometimes I get moved around the middle of the tournament to go to, um, to be told to go watch a player. But most of the time I was at the field, I'd have to work, um, I'd work Diamond Cast. And uh, which is Perfect Games' own created app. And also, as I'm working DiamondCast, my my job, my primary job is to be a scout and watch for any talent. And if there is talent, um, pull out my my phone and get it on video, get at bats on video. If it's a pitcher, get him pitching on video, catching. Um, if I can, maybe a couple of defensive plays, but that's a little tougher. But um, and then at my my job was to find the better players. Um, players who I think have the next chance to go to the next level. But on that real quick, the next level means doesn't just mean D1. And I feel like that's what a lot of people get get off of at Perfect Game. It's all about Division One. Perfect Game is not about just Division One. Perfect Game, from what I understand, is about helping kids who, who have a chance to go play at the next level, meaning junior college, D3, D2, NAI, it doesn't matter. All these colleges... And even the MLB, MLB scouts use Perfect Game, uses our information, Perfect Game's information, tremendously when they go to the profile to watch, to look at their 60, to look at the velo off the bat, off the mound, across the infield, from the outfield. They use all these different metrics and uh, just to analyze a player. But also now, say they like a player, what they see on the profile, now they contact one of the full-time scouts. And the full-time scouts um, already have all kinds of information, all kinds of information on the kid, not just on the profile. They got information on a whole other database about that kid. And um, a lot of times, scouts get signed to go do write-ups on kids. So, I mean, there's a lot that Perfect Game does that helps out a, helps out 
every single school outside of high school, every single baseball organization helped find the, the right player for their system. And honestly, I think it's a really, really awesome deal. Um, but I do think, since I'm here talking about this, I also do think Perfect Game needs to do a better job for the kids who aren't going D1. Um, they need to, uh, like, they need to get some guys who are strictly watching for junior college players or guys who have a chance to go D2 and stuff, but, um, or even Division three, which is not bad baseball at all. That's the great, greatest thing about baseball is good baseball everywhere. You see guys get drafted at all kinds of levels in the MLB, in the MLB draft. But, um, yeah, man, it was, it was an absolute blast, honestly. I, it was a little small taste of the dream. Wake up, watch baseball, go home talk about it with my roommates and go to sleep wake up do it all over again it was just a small taste of the dream yeah it sounds like a good time now speaking of of all the metrics out there there's there's all sorts of stuff and even my my roommates uh i think he's an advanced scouting intern with the rays i think that's his title so he's all about all these crazy metrics and whatnot and, and for the common baseball fan you know, you know about war you know about you might know a little bit about era plus there's different metrics like that for the uninitiated, what's a what's a metric that you think people should be paying more attention to? Like the average fan that might not know to pay attention to this. That's a really good question. Honestly, I'm a big fan of. Um, I don't think the average fan really knows, but I'm a big fan of um, of the velo across the infield and outfield. I, I mean, maybe the average fan knows. But the other stuff is a little too detailed, possibly. Um, but the average fan should definitely know the arm strength of the player. And because um, that's that to me, that's a huge, huge, huge plus as a player if you got arm strength. Arm strength can go a long ways away. There you go. According to Jet, people, just pay, pay attention to how hard people throw. It's that simple. Uh, so... Um, a fun, a fun thing that you and I did uh, last year was was we got to go to the winter meetings. Um, Absolute blast. You were there. It was in San Diego. I'd never been to San Diego before, so super hyped. It basically turned into a vacation for me since I had fortunately gotten hired before going out there. I was originally going to go out there to look for jobs, got hired before I went out there, so it turned into a little bit of a vacation. But for yourself, you were out there looking for jobs. But the one thing that stood out to me about the winter meetings, and this was something that I talked about on on the show back then, um, and even got to interview Tony Gwynn Jr., but just to see all of those amazing players, like some current players, some former players, that was such a cool experience. And I know between the two of us, we ran into so many different faces and i could name the people that i that i thought were a highlight but for you i know there was someone you ran into that i didn't and who was that for the good people oh man um who who was did you forget Uh, already yeah uh, yeah i might have um carlos beltran yeah was it carlos yeah dude i actually bumped so it's funny i actually bumped him by accident and I turned around and I bumped him pretty good, not on purpose. <laughs> I turned around and I was like, Oh, I'm sorry, sir. And I was like, Oh my God. I'm sorry, Carlos. <laughs> oh, I was like, What's up, dude? I'm like, my bad. And he's, he's over here shooting the bull with, um, who was it, Terry Collins? Or, I think so, yeah. Uh, I want to say it was Terry Collins. He's over there just shooting the bull with, with Terry. And I was just like, Dude, what's what's up, guys? Like, I asked <laughs> stuff and I was like, I apologize. And, 
Excuse me, and just let him do his thing right after that. I mean, but he turned a corner, got bumped into Joe Girardi. And it's like, what is going on around here? It is every single corner, every time you turn your head, you see a great player or a great broadcaster or, you know what I'm saying? You just see someone involved in Major League Baseball, and it's just, it's insane. It's it's absolutely insane. And then you see Ken Rosenthal just, like, <laughs> Looking like hamster, just running back and forth, dude. Just that, it was, it was a trip. It was an absolute trip. Yeah, and I know, I know, we were talking about it before before we started recording. But hopefully, here's hoping that COVID has calmed down. It calms down in the next couple months. And uh, winter meetings were supposed to be in Dallas this coming this coming uh, end of the year. And so here's hoping that we can make a trip out to Dallas and run into some more famous people or find our next gigs and all, all that fun stuff. That's what we're hoping for. So something I alluded to in your intro a little bit and um, something that makes you a little bit different than some of the guests that we've had on the show, but uh, you played pro ball and not just pro ball, but you played pro ball in Australia. Yeah. Tell us about that, man. How did how'd that come about? So to be honest, man, I got, I, I got lucky. Um, I got lucky. I had I had a little connection out there, and that little connection was my. So when I went to college in, at Chabot College um, in the Bay Area, um, one of my one of the friends I eventually one of my one of my teammates who became my best friend, his group of best friends, um, I, I ran along with them. We're all buddies. Um, but his name's Dave, and he ha- he has a girlfriend he's been with. It was like for three years when I met him, four years when I met him. They've been dating throughout throughout college. And then um, and she's from, her name is Casey, and she's from Perth, Australia. And so she came to the Bay Area to play water polo, whatever. They met eventually, like I said, we all met. And um, so when he went out there and he, he played a little bit of, he got picked up on the same team, but he actually like went to a tryout made the team or whatever and he 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 like he did it on his own he he grinded out on his own and um and then the following year he i think the yeah, second year second or third year um they were asking him if he knew like any imports which aka americans they like, you know americans are gonna play and so he was like yeah dude and he put me in contact with them. They contacted my coach and eventually contacted me through Facebook. They contacted all my former coaches through Facebook, contacted me through Facebook. And, uh, yeah, dude, as soon as I, as soon as my friend told me, Hey, they may or may not contact you. So, um, <laughs> I was ready to go. I mean, I got lucky though. I mean, I really got lucky that I had a friend who, who made the team, when it went out there and yeah, dude, I'm really, really, I got really lucky with that dude. And, but baseball out there is awesome. Um, people think it's not as good. That's a lie because a lot of organizations are starting to send out prospects to the ABL and their state league. And the state league is kind of like their minor league system. So, I mean, it's not as good as the ABL, but it's not terrible. Um, but uh, I think they, it really stressed me out on, on how serious they, I mean, on how, like, how they go about the game in some ways. I mean, not, like, they're not all serious, and you're not supposed to play the game in a serious matter, but uh, to a certain extent, I feel like you take the game pretty serious when you want to, when you go over there looking to play a pro ball. 
Um, a lot of guys that were playing or that, I mean, that were on the team, I mean, they were there for fun, and that didn't bother me, and they always lighting the guys up and stuff. But a couple of other things bothered me, but um, bottom line, the, the talent out there is um, it's pretty crazy. It's a lot better than I ever would have expected. The Rays, I just know this because I was on the Perth Heat for a little while. Um, the Rays sent out about 12 or 14 prospects out there to go play with the Perth Heat. And a majority of them were pitchers, but they had some position players like Tristan Gray, who came out of um, Sugarland, Texas, and I believe he went to Rice. And um, yeah, that dude, second baseman, he was absolutely, he's he was raw. But like when I went over there and we did inner squads with the Heat, I mean, I was facing guys uh, with, I mean, guys straight from the Dominican throwing 95 plus. And um, yeah, it's a little different. It's a it's a little bit better ball because of these organizations organizations are sending their prospects and not just their average prospects these i mean not all of them are in the top 30 or whatever but i mean there's when you're a prospect you're a prospect you're good there's no doubt about it but uh other uh, like other guys are going to melbourne sydney um i mean all the other cities in australia and it's absolutely i mean it's starting to become a pretty stacked league honestly and uh it's pretty it's pretty crazy um i actually forgot i think his name is p cosmo I think mm-hmm. former race, um, but he was actually the starting shortstop for the Perth Heat after he came out of the MLB. He went over there and played in the huh. NBA. Yeah. Yeah, how about that? So the Perth Heat actually had Liam Hendricks as well on their team. Uh, not that year, but he went. He was in the organization a few, few years back. So. Huh. And then baseball, so, so you had that experience, but ba- baseball has really been a part of your family for, for quite a while, as as I found out in getting to know you last year in San Antonio. But your your dad spent a good amount of time in in major leagues working as a as a scout, if I remember right. And uh, tell us about that. I mean, you must have like you must have been able to meet some cool people, right? With your dad being a being a freaking scout. Yeah. So my dad was a former scout coach i mean he's done it all at basically every level and um he's on a really good uh, excuse me he's a really good hitting coach and him and dusty actually made a hitting video together so he he's been in baseball for such a long time but he actually was getting out um when i was starting to grow up he was getting out of it but before um i met i got to meet scouts through the white Sox. i met a couple with the with the brewers um, but they're no, no longer with the Brewers. I actually don't know what organization, but this guy named Alan Regeer and Doraka, Doraka, I forgot his last name. We used to call him The Rock and the <laughs> uh, for the White Sox. And they, they used to come in and scout around San Antonio and stuff, but they also used to come in and visit my dad. And I mean, they, they've been a blessing to me because last year before the winter meetings, I actually got to contact those guys and get inside scoops and get information that feel like not a lot of other people get to have before going to the murder meetings and they get to look over my resume they get to look over the stuff i was going to bring to the table and give me some um some feedback and so i mean i've been lucky but um some of the coolest people i've ever got to meet or the coolest person i've ever gotten to meet with my dad is dusty baker by far the coolest guy um so funny story just a quick story right here dusty and my dad met at the, when my dad was coaching at Chabot College, the, the college I played I played at, my dad played and coached there. And he was coaching there. 
two players who played in the big leagues that my dad coached since they were 19 years old, um, Aaron Ledesma and Darren Lewis. Darren Lewis is a Gold Glove winner in 94 for the Giants. Um, but Dusty, so I met Dusty in, when I was like five, and he was with the Giants. And there's like a picture of us at AT&T Park, um, and you can barely see him because the shadow overcasting and stuff. So like, <laughs> and I, I, can't, I can't remember that experience with the Giants now. Fast forward a few years, Dusty gets hired by the Cubs in, what, 2005, 2006? Um, and so that team had, I mean, I got to meet, like, Derek Lee. Um, and, uh, I mean, I really don't remember all those Cubs players. I was such a young age, man, such a long time ago. I just married Derek Lee at the time. It was an absolute beast, and I was like, oh, my God, I get to meet Derek Lee. Um, but the best, most memorable time Dusty. I got to go visit Dusty again because we used to take him barbecue. Every time he came into Houston, we'd go see him. My dad used to pull me out of school and we stopped by in this place in Luling called City Market and great barbecue place. And we used to take him barbecue from Luling, go up to Houston, take him some of the best barbecue in Texas. And um, he would give us the absolute role of treatment. And in the Reds in 2011, this is the year after my favorite team, the Giants, won. And the World Series MVP also went to the Cincinnati Reds, Edgar Retoria. So, 2011 comes. I get to meet Joey Votto, Brandon Phillips, Miguel Cairo, uh, Edgar Retoria, Arnold Chapman, Johnny Cueto, Bronzo uh, Arroyo. Uh, dude, the list can – Drew Stubbs. So, get quick <laughs> off subject right here. So, Drew <laughs> I met Drew Stubbs at the University of Texas because one of my dad's players, Brandon Suttles, played the Yankees organization, went to Texas, and they were roommates. And so when I got to go watch Bradley play, um, he, was like, he was like, hey, man, it's my roommate, Drew Stubbs, blah, blah, blah. Got his autograph on my hat. <laughs> and fast forward five, six, seven, uh, maybe eight years, I used to meet um, Drew Stubbs with the Cincinnati Reds. And he actually remembered us by face. And he is the most humble, one of the most humble big leaguers I've ever met. But so is Brandon Phillips and Joey Votto. Like, seriously, like. Most humble. Joey Votto will shoot the shit with you, and he is like, he's awesome. I mean, he is just an awesome guy, and we get to watch him take hacks off the tee, talk baseball, talk hitting with him. And at this age, I was probably like, well, this is 10 years ago, so I don't know. I was probably about 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there. <laughs> uh, so I'm actually starting to retain knowledge a little bit better and get to talk to these guys, and it was just an absolute treat from dusty and that's by far the most memorable i memory i got with my dad in baseball wise or i mean maybe not by far but like <laughs> when i met Edgar renteria i had to turn away for like a split second <laughs> a tear because he was the world series mvp yeah i was like oh my. he didn't speak a lick of english he could understand yeah. i couldn't understand him he cry and I was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. And, yeah, I mean, but those guys, I mean, a lot of those guys think some of those big names are jerks. But some of the big names I got to meet, man, most humbled, most, shit, like, just awesome dudes, man. Just awesome dudes. Gotta love it. Now, anyone who follows you on social media, like I do, of course, knows that you're a big Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, fan. And like, you Tatis fan, bro. As as we record this, he has been on a tear, hitting hitting bomb after bomb, and it's it's bringing up the conversation of him possibly being 
you know, one of the faces of, of baseball. I mean, obviously you have Mike Trout and, and probably Bryce Harper, you know, but is Fernando Tatis one of those guys that is a top five recognizable face? Is he a recognizable name? Dude, he is. All right. He's got three home runs the last three games. Two of those three were lead off. All right. He's absolutely on a tear right now. But Tatis, man, we got to watch. I got to watch Tatis. The year before we met in San Antonio, and I used to never do my job because I want to watch Fernando Tatis and <laughs> play baseball. And um, and not only that, but like Chris Paddock was there, and Ty France, and they're like the like dude. The Padres double A team was absolutely loaded that year, 2018. And dude, that was that that just watching him. Then you just had an idea, like that dude. It's going to be a face at MLB now, now that he's up here. And he is, like, one of the youngest players to have 30 home runs and 100 RBIs and 20 stolen bases. He's, like, one of the youngest to reset accomplishment in MLB and, like, the shorted – because don't forget it last year, too. But Tatis, man, Tatis, you say what you want. All right. <laughs> but I'm going to put – I really, truly believe Tatis – could go down as a top five, arguably top three, if he stays healthy of all time. And honestly, man, because if he can stay healthy, though, and I know he's not going to still basis forever, but yes, I think he's going to be the face, one of the faces of the MLB by the end of this year, if not before this year ends. I mean, dude, you can't ignore that kind of talent. I mean, that dude is, is, is tremendous, man. He... I don't know, dude. Tatis is pretty special, man. To me, and I know this goes a long way with other people, but he, I think he's going to be up there with Mike Trout. Well, us, us, us baseball fans, us baseball fans right now, we're, we're going to have a nice treat for the next 10 years between Acuna, between Tatis, between Soto, between Luis Robert. It's going to be crazy. And I honestly think Ozzy uh, Albies is going to be leading, helping – Leading the way in Atlanta as well. I think him and Acuna might be, could be one of the best duos in MLB. I mean, you got Machado and Tatis now. Uh, that's a pretty good duo on that on that side of the infield. Um, dude, it's we have so many young players who are just gonna who we hope they. Are. I knock on wood, man. I want these guys to stay healthy. I pray they have a long, great career and just healthy, man. Because you hate to see that kind of talent. You would hate to see it end early or get hurt every year and stuff, man. But Tatis, dude, I'm huge on Tatis. Also, don't forget about my boy Francisco Lindor, switch hitting shortstop. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Trust me, me, me being a White Sox fan, I know too much about Francisco Lindor. Okay? <laughs> he's, he's a killer. Dude, I'm a Giants fan. I'll tell you what. I am jumping on the Padres bandwagon until the Giants start winning a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. Might take that might take a little bit, but we'll see. Oh, but yeah. uh, hey, man, I mean, we could. I know we could talk baseball for for hours. Um, but I'll let. I'm gonna before we let you go because I know I know you've had a busy day. You were out fishing with with the old man. Gotta love that. Yeah. Um, give the good people like where where can they find you on social media at? Why don't you you know what's oh, yeah. the what's the plug for you? Go ahead and give me a follow on Twitter, um, my Instagram. I don't post too much on there unless you just want to see Fernando Tatis highlights. <laughs> <laughs> but my uh, my Twitter is uh, jet underscore life underscore 13. Um, 
give me a follow. I tweet some baseball stuff as well. Um, I'm also a high school coach. So I, I, I share some um, some techniques and some other stuff on infield and hitting. Um, give me a follow. I'll follow you back if it matters. <laughs> there you go. Well, that that's Jet Trevino joining us in Section 312. And uh, so thank you for the time, and hopefully you'll be on in the future, my man. Oh, definitely. Thanks for having me, dude. It's been a pleasure. And that was the second part of our double header baseball interviews. First, it was Alex Cohen. This time, Mr. Justin Trevino. Um, fun stuff with, uh, with Dusty Baker and uh, being, a, being a scout and hanging out in Australia. Must have been a good time. So, thank you for those tuning in this week. No Quint, no Q man. Like I said, uh, he will be with. He'll be. Uh, we'll be without him in the next couple of weeks. So, three of us. Filling in in the meantime. Um, so next week, we will have the same good Section 312 fun stuff. Ball Guy of the Week will have a new starting five. Dear Podcast and all the latest well, latest that we can find in sports. Vance, Matt, my name is Jeremy Sneed. Matt, get us out of here. Tell the good people the good news. If you guys made it this far, thank you guys for listening. Check us out on the social medias, everybody. Facebook. Twitter, Instagram is Section 312 Show. Check it out. You'll you might regret it, but you might not. And <laughs> Section312.com is where you can find our website. We still need to get uh, Sneed's biography on the About Us page, but everything else is all good to go. Um, check it out. And also, if you go to Slash Store on that URL, you can check out some merch and sh- stuff like that. And uh, don't forget, we are an affiliate of Midwest Sports Network. Uh, you know, our friends over there in Michigan, they uh, they help us out real nice, uh, spreading out the uh, word over there. And uh, you can check them out at mwsn.net. Mm-hmm.